Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Otherwise, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing our, our uh, Thrive series this morning, the verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We find ourselves in what I think is one of the most fascinating portions of Scripture. In our verses today, we'll consider the catching away of the church. For some of you, that theme or that topic is, uh, you're comfortable calling it the rapture. That's what we're going to talk about today. Look at verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 with me briefly. This is where we get the, the concept of the rapture here or the, the catching away of the church. It says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That word right there, caught up, harpazo, that's where we get the word, um, that's where we get the concept of, of the catching away of the church. It means to grab, to seize by force with purpose of removing and or controlling, to seize, to snatch away, to take away. So, to, so, so we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. When the scriptures were translated from the Greek to the Latin, uh, there was a word there for caught up. That phrase, harpazo in the Greek, was translated to the Latin word rapturo, which is where we get the English word rapture. And so to say that the rapture, the word rapture, is not in the Bible is true. But the concept is. So regardless of what you call it, the catching away of the church, the snatching away, whatever you want, the great snatch, you could call it that if you want. You could call it, um, you know, whatever you'd like, the, caught, the catching up of the church. I prefer the Latin translation into the English, the rapture. It's just easier. But we understand what that word means. We understand what the concept is. It means that the church is not just, you know, not just apathetically being taken away, snatched away, ripped away, torn away. That's the concept. No control whatsoever. Boom, it just happens. You're not going to be able to resist that if you're a believer. But then again, why would you? Why would you want to? That's our desire, to be with the Lord, to be with Him, and, 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 and to be caught up together with Him and with those who have died before us. This is literally one of the most fascinating concepts in the Bible. Like this is why my one of my favorite Bible te- or one of my favorite Bible characters, not a character, a real person, one of my favorite Bible accounts is in Acts chapter 8 where you find the the, the evangelist named Philip who goes to Samaria, he comes and he brings the gospel and all these people get saved and you're thinking, man, he's just started a church. A mega church, really. And the Lord, in the midst of this exciting situation going on there, says, Philip, hey, hey, I need you to leave this prosperous situation, and I need you to go to the desert for one guy. Wait a second, Lord. Look what's happening here. I, get to some, I mean, this is what I would be doing. Maybe he, he's more spiritual than I am, so probably wasn't doing that. But he said, but, he's, but, he's, but he obeyed the Lord. So he goes out into the desert... And he finds an Ethiopian eunuch there 
who's coming from Jerusalem, who had just got done worshiping the Lord there. He wants to know God. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and the Spirit of the Lord says, go over to him. So Philip makes his way over to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he hears him reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he says to him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, dude, how can I? Unless somebody explains it to me, he says, well, let me explain it to you. So he invited him up into his little carriage there, and Philip explained the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch all the way to the idea of, hey, the, the, when you become a believer, you should be baptized. So the eunuch sees a, 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 some water there in the desert, and he says, hey, it wasn't, it wasn't a facade. It wasn't an oasis. It was real water. And he said, hey, let's, why, don't, why, why shouldn't I be baptized right now? So Philip gets off that, puts him in the water, and this is the most exciting, most brilliant thing I've ever, ever heard in my life. He takes him down. When he brings him back up, boom, Philip is gone. Awesome. Like you're the guy that just got baptized, and you're just thinking, what in the world just happened? You know why that's so awesome? Philip was literally carried away from that desert place up to a place called Azotus, which was like 20 miles north where he is instantaneously. This tells you that God it, it defies the laws of the world because he created them. He can move our physical bodies from one place to another, literally just catapult them there in an instant. He's not bound by the laws that he created. He does these things. And so it's just a fascinating story, and I love it for that. And I thought, man, how, what, what would that be like to be Philip? You know what I mean? Like, what was he experiencing? And the Lord reminded me, don't worry, you'll, you'll experience it. You'll, you too will, will know what that feels like. And so will anybody who's a believer. Any person who is past, was, was waiting on the Lord to come, believed in the Lord but died prior to this event, or those who were alive when this happens, will all be experiencing this, this thing called the rapture of the church. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, before we get into this, I want to set the context because it, without understanding the context of why Paul is writing this, we will miss the whole point of it. What you need to understand is Paul didn't just decide to pin this deep theological situation or deep theological position on the rapture, uh, you know, at the end of uh, a letter to these Philippian uh, or to these uh, Thessalonica church. You know, he wasn't like, oh, I just, I'm just going to pop in this doctrine. No. It was due to something that they were dealing with. And his, his point in writing this, his aim is not necessarily doctrinal, but it will be doctrinal. But his point is pastoral. There's a difference. There's a difference between a theologian and a pastor. A theologian cares about positional truth. He cares about making sure that you, the clarity of, of, of the text and how it comes across is, is, is rightly divided. The pastoral uh, you know, kind of situation is more along the lines of, yes, we care about theology. We want you to have the theology, but we care more about bringing you, uh, you know, speaking into your heart. It's more about the person. It's about pastoring the heart. It's about shepherding the people. It's about feeding the people. It's about loving the people. So Paul's heart is more coming at this from a pastoral standpoint. It's important you understand that. He didn't just pop this out of nowhere. It was because 
these people had a serious issue going on regarding the rapture of the church. They were literally fearful. They were grieving people that thought that, that they were somehow in the great day of the Lord. They thought that they missed the rapture completely. They thought that they were in the tribulation period. And because of that, they were so concerned about the believers who had fallen asleep, literally that word, it means those who have died in Christ. Those who have fallen asleep, that, that they will somehow miss out completely on the rapture or on maybe even heaven. They don't know. Remember, this church has only been discipled for a very few, you know, maybe a couple weeks. But Paul did make sure that they had an understanding of the second coming of Christ. They had a concept of that. And so he tells them, I'm just going to throw out a couple verses to you. In chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, Paul says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, listen to this, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He goes on here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting, listen, before our Lord Jesus at his coming? They knew that, Je that Jesus was coming. Of 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Listen, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God the Father and at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. Listen, every chapter Paul brings up the coming of Christ. These people understand that this is the, 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 the event that they are waiting for. This is the thing that Jesus is coming back. Here's the understanding that they had, which is also important to the context. They understood the coming of Christ was imminent, meaning they were thinking it was going to happen in their life. That's why they were so perplexed when people started to die prior, than, prior to Jesus rapturing the church. Why does all this matter? Because what this tells us is their eschatological view of the rapture and, 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 and how, what they believe relating to the, the timing of the rapture. They believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. That's why they're concerned. They don't see it. They're saying, hey, we're in the day of the Lord. We, don't, we, we, we believe that the Lord has, is, is, is the tribulation period has already come. They had some teaching on this. Because in the next chapter, we're going to see 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, 1 through 3, that Paul says, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware of the day of the Lord, that it will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon, come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. They know the day of the Lord is the tribulation where God's wrath will be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. They also know this. 
that in that time period, that believers who were on earth, who were going through the tribulation period, the believers that exist in that time frame will be persecuted heavily. And guess what? They're being persecuted heavily. They're associating what they're going through uh, with what the scripture said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 10, he said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. This is during the tribulation period. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. It's during the tribulation period. These believers in Thessalonica were grieving because, A, number one, they thought they were in the day of the Lord. They thought they had missed the rapture. If they were, listen, if they believed that it was mid-trib or post-trib, they wouldn't be grieving. They would be like, okay, well, this is just par for the course. We're experiencing persecution. We're in the day of the Lord. We're in the tribulation times. That's to be expected. Jesus said that was going to happen. Paul said that was going to happen. But they're not. They're grieved. They're concerned that they missed the rapture and that they're somehow in the day of the Lord. That's why Paul told them, and also because of the persecution that they're facing, Paul told them in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 4, that no one be moved by these afflictions, the afflictions that they're experiencing currently. He said, listen, you don't have to be moved by these things, for you yourselves know that we're destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Reality was the persecution that these believers in Thessalonica were facing was common persecution to those who stand for Christ. The same persecution people are experiencing today. It was the persecution that comes by standing for the Lord. Secondly, they also had this issue going on, that they, there were false teachers that had come into this church, and they, they either had a letter or they were, they, 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 by word, they were telling him, oh, you guys missed that. You're in, you're in the tribulation period. Paul even says so. How do we know? Because Paul addresses this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, now concerning the, kind, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Listen, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawless is, lawlessness is revealed, the son of des, uh, destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. On top of this, all of these, these issues going on, they had the, the grief of the fact that they had lost brothers and sisters in Christ. There was a sense of hopelessness in these people. A sense of hopelessness as it related to those who were lost, who had died. They were grieving as people who had no hope. And that's what Paul will address to them. The words that Paul brings to them 
now are pastoral. He's trying to bring comfort to people who are grieving. Hence the title of my message, Encouraging Words for Grieving Hearts. The context of these verses has to do with Paul trying to encourage a church who is completely discouraged. They're discouraged because they don't have all the right information. And so he's going to bring that to them. Anytime the concept of the rapture is mentioned in the Bible, there's two other places that I think you can clearly say this is raptural. This relates to the rapture, not the second, of, second coming of Christ. And every time, these, any, every time the rapture in, in this verse here, 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, chapters, or verses 13 through 18, uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus said this, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Not only that verse, but also where Paul pinned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58, he said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that was written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor are gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. John chapter uh, 14, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58. The, the context of every one of those verses is encouragement to the church encouragement to the church. The rapture is meant to be an encouragement to the church. It's meant to encourage us. It's meant to build us up. It's meant to help us to, to, to realize that Christ is coming back. And so anytime you hear that, anytime we mention the word rapture, we need to do it in a, in a, in a way that we're encouraging the body of Christ. Listen, Here's the reality. It's not so much about when you believe the rapture is going to happen. That, to me, is not really even something we should divide over. It's not, it's not in the scheme of everything. It's not that important. Because here's the deal. It's going to happen. It does not matter when you believe it's going to happen. It's going to happen when he says it's going to happen. And so that's really the focus we should, we should have. So oftentimes we get hung up on the wind, the timing. And you know what? Here's the thing. I believe wholeheartedly in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think I can support it from Scripture. But that's a secondary issue to me. The real issue is, is encourage one another with these words. 
If you and I are arguing about the timing of the rapture, we're missing the real point of the, the, of the context of why God gave us the concept of the rapture, why he told us it was going to happen. He didn't have to, you know. He didn't have to tell us this was going to happen. He could have just said, I'll come back. Does he have to tell us every step? No, he doesn't. He doesn't owe us anything. And yet he does. Why? Because he wants to encourage us. He's our Lord. He's our, he's our Father. He loves us, man. He wants us to be encouraged. And so that's the context that Paul's writing, encouraging words to grieving hearts. Now, stand with me real quick. We're going to read our verses today, and then we're going to walk through this. <coughs> but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpets of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us. Lord, we need to be encouraged this morning. Will you help us to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel? that although we don't know the timing exactly of when all this is going to happen, that we can count on it for sure happening because you are faithful to every word that you have spoken. Will you help us this morning, Lord, to have a clear glimpse of who you are and your faithfulness? And will you speak to our hearts and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Paul's words, I think, can be divided into three sections here. The information, the consolation, and the revelation. First, the information that brings hope to people who are grieving. Look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, that those who are asleep, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who, do, who have no hope. Paul's purpose in writing here is so that these believers um, are not uninformed. Here's the thing is that they are informed to some degree, but they're not informed about this. And so they are uninformed about a situation. That they are, are uninformed about what? About the death of their loved ones and what will happen to them who, who have died prior to the rapture. The source of grief for these believers is, listen, lack of information. Their source of grief is that they're uninformed. They have a lack of information. Is that not a source of grief for you? Do you guys not track with that? Like when you are in the unknown, isn't that the most horrific place to be? You know what we do when we're in the unknown? Oftentimes, we're seized by fear. We're, 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 we're seized by just anxiety. And then we do something completely stupid. We start playing the what-if game. You know what I mean? 
what if this happens? What if that happens? And you start making up these ridiculous scenarios that are never going to happen, but you spend all this amount of time worrying about all these things that could and could not happen, and, and, and the next thing you know, you're, you, you get a little bit of information, and all that goes away. Isn't that amazing how that works? It's amazing that we, we will allow ourselves to, to go down the line of, of worry and anxiety rather than trusting the Lord and, 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 and just walking by faith and not allowing ourselves to get sucked into um, trying to anticipate what we don't know rather than relying on what we do know. I love what Pastor Chuck said. He said, when you encounter those things that you don't understand, fall back on those things that you do understand. What does that mean? That means like when I'm in an unknown situation, I rely on what I know about God, that he's for me, that he loves me, that he's in control of the circumstance or situation, that he's at work and I can trust him. He's a good, good father to me. He's, he's working something out for my good. I can trust him. Why? Because his word says I can. You see, just a little bit of information goes a long way. It helps out in a long ways. Information becomes a key source to peace when you're wondering if a mass is benign or malignant, right? Or when you don't know the whereabouts of your child or when you're not sure your employment is going to continue. Information becomes a source of peace. Just a little bit of information. Paul is telling these brothers and sisters, let me inform you regarding those who have fallen asleep. Again, I've already told you this word, asleep, what does it mean? It's, it's, it's literally a reference. You can look down at verse 16. We always like to let the Bible interpret the Bible. So the Bible interpreting the Bible according to verse 16 means Paul is talking about those who have died in Christ. They've died in Christ. And he wants to bring some comfort to them, to, to, to bring some information so that they don't have to grieve as people who have no hope. The concept of sleep here is a reference to the body only. Anytime you see that word used, it's only, by the way, it's only two believers in the New Testament. When it says they have fallen asleep, it's only speaking of believers, number one, and it's only speaking of their bodies because Scripture itself tells us that believers, to, it, it's not just believers, that our bodies may fall asleep, but our spirit, our soul never does. Our spirit is eternal. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 7, or 12, chapter 12, verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. We are eternal beings. Our souls never sleep, contrary to some of those who would tell us in this culture today, uh, various different um, false teachings and false religions will tell you that when you die, if you die apart from Christ or you would die apart from whatever it is their path to salvation is, that, you know, you're soul sleeping. No such thing in the Bible. There is no soul sleeping. Your soul does not sleep. It returns to the Lord. And you know what the Lord does? What did you do with Jesus? And that determines where you will reside for all of eternity. So, there is no soul sleep. When Paul is speaking about sleep, he's speaking about the physical body. He's talking about those who have fallen asleep. Their physical body is here. But what we do know is that the Scripture tells us that the moment a believer dies, they are, their spirit is immediately with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 
It says this, yes, you are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Some of your versions might say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Same idea. There is a separation at death currently for our physical body and our soul. When a believer dies today, they are separated from their physical body and their soul goes to, to be with the Lord. What all happens there, I do not know. And I'm not even going to try and figure that out. Scripture doesn't tell us whether we have a body or we're disembodied or whatever it is. We don't need to know that. What we know is we're changed. We're perfect. We're no longer those people struggling in this body. What we know is our body is at rest because it tells us here that there's a resurrection that's going to happen of this body. So we'll, we'll just track with me on this. But when a believer dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul told believers in uh, Philippians 1, 23 and 24, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let me ask you a question. Where were their bodies? Where was Jesus' body the day he died? His, his body was laid in a tomb. This thief's body was laid in a tomb. Where were they? Where were their souls? They were in paradise. They, that thief that believed in Christ was with Jesus the moment he took his last breath, but his physical body was laid in a tomb. The point is there's a separation currently. And, and our bodies will do the same thing. That's why when we, lay, um, we, we, we lay somebody to rest here on this earth, their body doesn't go with them because they have to be resurrected. Oh, what happened on the third day? After Jesus died and he what? Rose again on the third day bodily. They couldn't find his body. That will happen to every believer, but it has not happened yet. And that's what this, this scripture is going to tell us how that resurrection works, and why these believers don't have to um, grieve as people who have no hope because it hasn't happened yet. It will happen, and he promises them that. Paul goes on and he tells them, listen, uh, you, you're grieving like people who have no hope. Now, what he's not saying is you're not to grieve at all. And I think that's where Christians make a huge mistake is... So oftentimes we're like, oh, yeah, you don't need to be sad. Uh, you know, you need to get over it and all this kind of stuff. You're like, dude, that's my family member. I love that person. They're no longer here. Yes, there is a grieving in my heart. That can be sinful, but it not necessarily is. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He walked around with sorrow. Why? Because he saw our state. He saw who we, you know, he saw the condition of humanity. So he's a man of sorrows. We can walk around this earth, you know, grieving the loss of people. That grieving shouldn't overtake our faith and paralyze us from doing our jobs as Christians and all of that kind of stuff. But there's a, there's a, you know, when somebody dies, my dad died, my brother died. When they died, I miss them. I want to, there's even times now where I'm just like, oh, man, I wish I could just call. You know, and in that instant, you're like, man, I just wish I could talk to them right now. You know what I mean? Everybody has that experience. That's not wrong. What's wrong is 
to be paralyzed from living your life, from living from the Lord because you, you can't, you're so paralyzed by your grief. That is someone who has no hope. That is what Paul says do not do. You guys are grieving like people who have no, who doesn't have hope? Unbelievers don't have hope. They have no hope. And in fact, in the Greek culture, when people died, they literally had no idea what happened to them. And so they just literally were like, well, I don't know. There's no hope. You can read the historians back in the, the first century of the Greek culture, and they literally, their words were like, you know, totally hopeless. And yet we know for unbelievers that they too are eternal, that immediately when they breathe their last breath, they are also, the Spirit returns to the Lord, whether it's redeemed or unredeemed. And then God determines where that spirit, where that soul will be laid to, to rest for eternity. And so Paul is going, Paul is telling these people, man, you know, I want to give you information that's going to help you with your hope. That there's hope even though these people have died because they're believers. It's so sad to do a funeral for an unbelieving family. You know, it is incredibly heartbreaking. What do you do as the pastor? You tell them, do you lie to them? Oh, yeah, he's in heaven. No, you don't lie to them. And in fact, in that situation, you don't focus on that person at all. You focus on those people. You focus on the people that are alive, that can make a choice. You talk about eternity. You talk about the fact that you don't try and determine somebody else's fate. What you do is you talk about your faith. What about you? And I can tell you that, uh, you know, people want to, you know, every funeral I've been to, people want to, uh, you know, no one's telling, no one's just rejoicing that the person's in hell. Oh, yeah, they're in hell, you know, high-fiving their buddies. They're not high-fiving their buddies. I promise you that. What people say is they say, they say in, they, they might, they, they try and comfort themselves with words like, oh, he's in a better place, or, well, God has another angel. Number one, we do not become angels. And number two, if you die apart from Christ, you are not in a better place. Those are lies. And our duty as Christians is to be honest with people, not insensitive, but to be honest about eternity. If you die apart from Christ, there is no hope. That is your last moment. We, got, we, we have one life, and this soon will be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. So true. Paul is going to remind these believers that the believers that have died that have gone on are with the Lord and they're coming back and they will be resurrected again. So next we find the consolation, which is found in the resurrection. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. <coughs> now we move from mere information to consolation. Paul is bringing comfort to grieving hearts by reminding them that just as Jesus surely died, that he did surely rise again from the dead. That Jesus, that, and we too, that because we were buried with Christ, that we were laid in that tomb with Christ, that we too will be resurrected with him. Easter Sunday is the greatest day 
in the history of the world because it declares to us that although we may die, we shall surely live. Amen? Is that not a good word? That although we shall surely die, we shall surely live. Death has no claim on those who are in Christ. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he was quoting Isaiah and <clears throat> he was quoting Isaiah and um, Hosea here when he said, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's, he's telling us that death has no bearing whatsoever on a believer. Why? Because Jesus overcame death for us. We have victory in death. That's why Paul wrote in, in Philippians 1.21, listen, to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. I don't want to be insensitive or irreverent, but listen, for those who have died, your loved ones, if they were in Christ, it's not the worst thing that's happened to them. It's the best thing that's happened to them. Do you know that? Like if you want to put it into perspective, Death for the believer is the best thing that can happen to us. You know why? It's deliverance from this, this body. It's deliverance from this state of imperfection. It's a deliverance from our sinfulness. It's deliverance from all of the sorrow and the tears and the, and the weights of this world. No longer. Death is a vehicle that God uses to bring victory in our lives. So as a believer, when we have the correct perspective of death, we understand that it's gain. That's why Paul can write that. Maybe you haven't come to grips with that. I know that this is my life verse, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain, because I struggled with death, man. Like it freaked me out. I had severe anxiety when I thought about dying to the point that I couldn't watch it on TV, to the point that like I was being paralyzed, literally, fearful of death. Anxiety just coming over me every time I'd even think about it. So I try to do what? What most people do. Block it out. No, no, that's not the right thing to do. Face your fear. So I got into the Word of God. What does the Bible say about death? This says that death has no victory over me. This says that death has no sting over me. Why am I afraid of dying? Because I don't have all the right information. That's why. But when I got the information, came freedom. The truth, know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free, totally free. Listen, death is not the worst thing that can happen to a believer. It's the best thing that can happen. And one day, you'll, you'll, you'll realize that although it's bittersweet for us, it is 100% sweet for the person who's passed away, for the person who's transitioned into eternity. And Paul's reminding these believers that all we have to do is look to Christ and look what he's done. He is the way maker. He's the one. He was buried. He, he, he lived. He died. He rose again from the dead. We're going to follow that same pattern. Why? Because our lives are hidden in Christ. We're in Christ. So what he's done, we too will do. Notice that those who have died prior to the rapture, where are they? <clears throat> where are they? It says that they're with the Lord. They are with the Lord. Again, believers are to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Not only are they with the Lord, but they are also coming back with the Lord. 
They're with the Lord currently, but they're coming back with the Lord. That's what's awesome. You will see these people again. Those who have died prior to the rapture will not miss out on it. So we have the information, the consolation, now the revelation. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15. For this we declare what? By a word from the Lord. This is revelation. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we will always be with the Lord. Paul is, is, is pinning these words by way of revelation. This is a word from the Lord directly to these people. You ever had a word from the Lord? where you're experiencing something and, and maybe it's through one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, maybe it's through the word itself, that the Lord just speaks to you and you know this is a word directly from my Father in heaven. Like he cares about me so much that he sent this word to comfort me, this word of revelation. The Lord tells you it's going to be okay. Just things like that that the Lord does, you know, when he speaks to you. How awesome is that when you have a word from God? directly to meet you right where you are. Do you know he does that? He does that. There's countless times in my life where I've found myself in different situations and I'm like, Lord, and I'm, I'm grieving or I'm having a difficult situation. In fact, the Lord gave my wife a word, you know, recently about some things. And it just, there is nothing like knowing that God cares so much that he would speak directly into your situation. He does that for these guys. Paul's saying, hold up, I want you to know, these are not my words. This is a word from the Lord. And he's telling you guys who are concerned about those who have died, about your situation. Now, let me, let me bring some, some, some clarity to you by way of revelation. He says that Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. There's three things that are going to happen during the rapture, and they are not silent. Number one, there is going, the Lord, there, first there's going to be a cry of command. This is Jesus himself shouting to the grave to give up the bodies of the redeemed. How do we know that? Because Jesus said that that's what he would do in John chapter 5, verse 25. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the shout that Jesus is shouting. It's the same shout that he shouted in John chapter 11, verse 43, where he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He had to be specific in that moment. Otherwise, every person, every believer, well, the graves would have opened up and everybody would have come forth. Wait a second, only Lazarus, man. Only Lazarus right now. He's going to have a cry of a command. Secondly, we're going to find the voice of an archangel. Now, not only is Jesus coming, but he's also bringing an angelic army with him. We don't know who the archangel is. There's only one archangel mentioned in the Bible, in, in the book of Jude, and it's Michael. But we don't know if there's more than that. In Jewish 
you know, kind of whatever fable or whatever you want to call it, or their, t- their, their tradition, they believe that there were seven archangels. Where did they get that? Who knows? It's not in the Bible. But what we know is that an archangel is going to, to, to uh, we're going to hear the voice of an archangel. Thirdly, there will be a trumpet of God that will sound. Now, this isn't the trumpet judgments of the book of Revelation, as if this is, post, this is post-trib, you know, at the end of the tribulation period. No, that's not what this is speaking about. If you look in the history of Israel, God uses trumpets for Israel for all kinds of different reasons. You know, uh, he uses trumpets to, to, to call out that, that there's a feast going on, to call out there's a celebration or a commendation going on. There's different things that God uses. There, there, he uses trumpets to call uh, the children of Israel to war. But the most common thing that God used trumpets for in the children of Israel was to gather the people. I believe firmly that what is happening here, that the, the trumpet that's being sounded is the trumpet of gathering of God's people. It makes total sense that this trumpet is a trumpet of gathering like he was gathering the children of Israel. He's gathering all the believers together. What this tells us is that the rapture is not going to be a silent event. Like the world is not just going to not know what's going on. Like they're going to hear stuff, they're going to think that's weird, and then people are going to disappear. That's what's going to happen. It's not like they're just going to walk, you know, they're going to be like, you know, wake up in the morning and go, oh, where, where did you go? No, no, they're, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. There's, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be audible things happening that no one will be able to deny. Do you know right now that there are audible things happening in Israel? Do you know that, that um, every so often someone will, will record and put on YouTube and you can listen to it? There are trumpets in the air being blown currently, not, not right this moment, but every so often... And, and they're happening more frequent in Israel right now. It's as if the Lord is saying, get ready. Get ready, get ready. And, and don't you think it's bizarre that that doesn't make the news? Hey, and uh, uh, hey, Joe, back to you. Over here in Israel, you know, there's this, these trumpet sounds coming from the thing. The scientists don't know what's going on, but, you know, well, I don't know. Let's go back to sports, you know. I mean, what, 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 why aren't they talking about this stuff? Why aren't they talking? This is, this is like crazy, um, you know, things that we can't explain. And so what? We just pass it over. Because it's spiritual warfare. That's why. Because the Lord is trying to get our attention. Because he's coming. He's coming. And, and listen, these things are happening. Go Google it. I promise you. There are so many things happening in our world today that God is saying, wake up. I'm coming. Wake up. I mean, I, 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 you don't have time to go into it, but listen, what I'm telling you is that if you will pay attention, you will see the signs that the Lord's appearing is very, very near. Very near. He tells us that this is going to be an event that everybody is going to notice. What will happen? After that, it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have died prior to this event will, will be raised bodily. 
And then Paul says, and then we, <laughs> including himself, he's including, I like to include myself in there. And then we, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, harpazo, raptured, from the earth in bodily form to join those who have been resurrected. Notice, listen, in the air. In the air. This is what makes, this is what makes this distinct and different than the second coming of Christ. Because in Zechariah chapter 14, the second coming of Christ declares that Jesus will descend upon the Mount of Olives and he will place his feet down and it will split in half. That's going to happen, but not in this moment because this is a different event. We're going to meet him in the air. Remember in Acts chapter 1 when the, the disciples were watching the ascension of Christ and the angels said to them, hey, hey, Guys, go, go do your work. Go out and tell people about Jesus. He, he, he um, just in the same way that he was taken up in the clouds, he will come back in the same way. He's coming in the clouds. He's coming in the clouds. That's why every day you see a cloudy day, you say, hey, Jesus could come back today. There's clouds in the air. He went up in the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. But he will not put his feet down on this earth at this moment. This is a catching away of the church. We're caught up together with him in the air. This moment right here, I believe, is declared for us in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where, where John has just got done pinning everything that he has to say about the church in three chapters. Nineteen times he mentions the word church. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 Jesus says, get up here. And John is caught up in the spirit into heaven with Jesus. And he says, I must tell you what things must take place after this. Why is that so crucial? Because after that, after Revelation chapter uh, 4 verse 1, the word church is never mentioned again. Do you know the tribulation period starts, Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19? And do you know that the word church is not mentioned at all in those verses? I'm pretty sure if the church were going through the tribulation that we would be mentioned in it. But it does mention Israel. And that coincides with Romans chapter 9 Verses uh, chapter 9 all the way through chapter 11, where Paul tells us that there will be a refocus on Israel. Listen, we believe that the, the tribulation period is primarily for God obviously pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world, but it's also God drawing Israel back to himself. Halfway through the tribulation period, Daniel says that the, the, the abomination of desolation will step into the holy place that he will, Jesus says it in Matthew 24, that he's going to declare himself as God and the scales will fall from the eyes of the Jews. That means there's a hardening there of the heart of the Jew currently that they can't necessarily see. It's not because they, um, they can't see it. It's really because they don't want to see it. But if they were to want to see it, they would be able to see it. But in that moment, God is going to give them a spiritual clarity three and a half years through the tribulation period about who that person is. They're going to say that is the Antichrist. In that moment, they will realize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that they killed 
and, and then they will be mobilized. These people will be mobilized. They'll share the gospel uh, through the tribulation period. Many of them will die. There'll be 144,000 Jews, very specific, 144,000 Jews that are protected by God, that are sealed and anointed by God to bring the gospel into the world. And so really, ultimately, there's no mention of, of the church there. It's all Israel. It's all Jewish. And that's because God is focused on Israel during that time. Uh, you know, we're, we're dispensational in a sense that we believe that God works in ages. And in this particular age, there's seven ages. In this age, we're, we're, we're in what's called the, the church age or the age of grace, where God is dispensing grace upon grace upon the world. And he's offered salvation to anybody who will desire to receive it. But that, that age is closing, what I believe, with the rapture. And then institutes the next seven years, which is the tribulation period, known as the age of wrath. And the age of wrath is when God will pour out his wrath upon the world. I don't think we'll be here. I, don't th I think that's what Paul is trying to um, declare to these guys. You will not be there. And there's a whole bunch of different reasons why I don't think we'll be there. But I'm not going to get into that this, because we're already past time. But, but here's the thing. Paul ends this entire thing. He end caps this with these words, therefore. That means everything that I got done saying here, you need to listen to what I'm going to say now. Encourage each other with these words. It's meant to be an encouragement to us. I don't know how you see these words this morning, but if it's not an encouragement, then we did something wrong. We missed, somehow we're missing what it's saying to us, or it's not represented correctly, you make the choice. But if we're not encouraged this morning, it's not because these words aren't encouraging. You know what I'm saying? It all comes back to our heart. Where, where, where are we, what are we living for? Who are we living for? Are we anticipating the, 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 um, the arrival of our king? Are we anticipating? Are, do we believe in the imminent return of Christ? Do we believe that he could happen at any moment? These guys did. These guys did. They lived 2,000 years ago. Paul did. Paul thought, I bet you Paul thought without a shadow of a doubt he would see Jesus come back. I'm telling you that the time, the prophetic time clock is now in the seconds mode. It's no longer hours. We're in seconds and we're close. If you're not living for the Lord, today is the day that you should be encouraged by these words to say, hey, he's coming back. I need to live for him. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just the encouragement that we find in the rapture of the church. That it tells us, Lord, that you're coming soon. And all those that we love who are in Christ are coming back with you. And you display for us in this moment like there is going to be a reuniting in the air with our loved ones and with you. Be the greatest moment in the history of the church when you call us home. Lord, we pray for our hearts this, this morning that you would just, Lord, help us if, if there's things um, hindering us from truly living for you, Lord, if there's things in our lives that um, have weighed us down, 
have caused us to be imprisoned, Lord, then we're asking you to come now as the, the one that sets us free and that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would, um, you would exhort us, Lord, to live for you and that you would help us, Lord, to be unshackled this morning. We know you're coming soon, Lord, and we want to represent you well, so help us. We can't do anything about what we have done, but we can do everything about what we do do. And so this point moving forward, Lord, will you put an urgency in our hearts, Lord, to first and foremost live a life that is pleasing to you by faith, Lord, in love? And then will you help us, Lord, to be vocal about our faith, to declare to those around us, Lord, that time is short. You've called us, you've, you've commanded us, Lord, to go into all the world and to make disciples. Lord, help us to be faithful. We ask that you would just come by your spirit and you would just draw us near uh, as we prepare for communion now, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to confess anything that might be in between you and us this morning. We just thank you for the salvation that we have through your son, through the blood of Jesus. And we know that we can be reconciled through him this morning. And if there's anyone here that isn't reconciled, Lord, will you help them to just confess you as Lord, to turn their life over to you this morning, to just say, Jesus, here I am, arms lifted, Lord, here I am, take me. I want to be forgiven for my sin. I want to be cleansed. I want to be caught up together with you in the air, Lord. I don't want to be, I don't want to be separated from you for all of eternity. I'm turning away from my life. I'm turning to you. Cleanse me. Forgive me, Lord. I receive you now. And for the rest of us, Lord, just prepare our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.